Hey, Jared Dubin here. This is the audio from Tuesday's chat on the Halftime app with Mike Prada, who you might know from Bullets Forever and SB Nation and his upcoming book on tactical evolutions in the NBA. We talked mostly about the Washington Wizards, but also about some of the offensive numbers from this season and three-point shooting and things along those lines. Uh, enjoy the conversation. Be back next week. No chat on Thursday because it's Thanksgiving. Enjoy the holiday. up hello hello can you hear me yeah i can hear you i was just giving a plug for your book <laughs> yeah the book that i keep procrastinating won't be out for a year but thank you oh i thank thought it was you. coming out like within months i didn't realize it no was we pushed it back because i mean part of it is because i've taken longer than expected part of it is because of printing things but mostly because we just wanted they, they wanted to move it so that it wasn't too close to all the releases they have coming out now so next fall, next gotcha. fall. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, it's right up my alley, obviously, like tactical evolutions in the NBA. It's like made for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. It's um, it's definitely evolved into something, a pretty big scale thing. I mean, so I'm looking forward to people reading it. I, I feel like a lot of it may be not what people expect and a lot of it may be what people expect. And, you know, it, it should be really cool. Um. But yeah, the premise is like, you know, the just this era is so different than even all the eras before it. So it's sort of like almost like kind of rethinking like how the game works in a really big way. Uh, so yeah, it's exciting. I just have to actually finish it. I'm stuck on this <laughs> chapter about about the gather in one two step. Well, now that I, I saw you tweeting about that the other day with uh, with Aaron Holiday and he had like, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, like there, there's a lot there there's a lot there the, for sure the process of like narrowing down exactly what is the most relevant stuff uh that's with the challenge there's almost a, such an abundance of interesting material but yes that will be a chapter or a section or even more will be on the way players move so there's a little teaser awesome i'm looking forward to it um i, I think i think we can sort of spin off from the tactics too because the one thing that that I was sort of debating where I wanted to start with the Wizards, whether it was going to be with the Westbrook trade, but I think we have to start with the defense because they are 11 and 6, 19th in offense, fourth in defense, plus yeah. one net rating is 10th in the NBA. Um, what are they doing defensively that is different from what they were doing under Scott Brooks? And what do you think is what's working for them that's allowed them to get into the top five? Yeah, not what you expected, right? No, <laughs> not at all. In fact, I think the offense is like kind of a a bit of a growing concern. Uh, so it is interesting. I think there are a couple things that are going on. I think they started with a more aggressive style uh, scheme, you know, where they were coming to level to the ball a lot more. I think they really dug in physically. I think Wes Unsell Jr. has wanted to establish that. They've gone back to, like, at least when their centers are on the floor, they're often in a deeper drop now. But I think that initial uh, sort of mindset – and that initial sort of thing 
has really helped. And they've got better defensive players. I mean, I expected them to improve defensively, not to not to this degree, you know. But I, I you swap out Westbrook, you've brought in Caldwell Pope, who's a real dogged defender. You've brought in uh, Dimwitty, who's an upgrade on Westbrook defensively. You brought in Kuzma, who's proven to be a really good defender. Uh, and I just think that they have done a really good job of it's not their attention to detail on that end is really tremendous really i mean almost like kind of feels like they're almost spending too much time preaching their defense but they do a really good job of switching effectively where they they when they switch they come down and scram really well uh they they uh they cut off the right angles you know they, they have the positioning right they get the details right there they're allowing the right type of shots through a combination of kind of their dogged one-on-one defense and sort of the dropping of the centers um and just they help each other really well. And, you know, I think all those things, it all points to an attention to detail on every part of their defense that just wasn't there last year under Scott Brooks. And really, this is what Wes Unsell Jr. is known for. So that part is not a surprise. I think the results have been more uh, more than I expected. But I'm not terribly surprised that they got better defensively. Yeah, I mean, I definitely expected them to get better. Like, you bring in KCP, your perimeter defense is going to get better, and your on-ball defense is going to get better. You replace Westbrook, like you said, with Dinwiddie. That makes sense. You've got Kuzma, who's like a flexible front court guy. And his improvement on that end, I think, especially last year, was the big step for him from before. And he's, you know, continued that, I think, this year. But they're bringing – even some of the guys they're bringing off the bench look good defensively. Like, Avdia – looks terrific defensively to me the the times that I've watched the Wizards he had a couple of plays last night against Gordon Hayward where he's like staying down on Gordon Hayward pump fakes that usually draw a bite and he's just like nope not having it like I think he's been quite good on that end and then Holiday and Neto come off the bench and they just work really hard like and they're strong for their size like they're not particularly big and they're not long like the guys in the starting lineup but they're strong and they're like they're in the right spots because they're always working to get there. And, you know, Harold's not the best rim protector in the world, but he's getting every rebound within like 35 feet of him. And Kuzma's doing the same thing. So it all just sort of works well in concert with each other. Yeah. I think the parallel here is, you know, you think about how like kind of Phoenix defended last year where, you know, it's not a particularly huge team, but it's a pretty thick team, a pretty wide base team uh, with a similar structure and a similar starting lineup of, you're playing a wing at the four, uh, and you're playing a lot of dogged defenders. Um, I think it's a pretty similar style to how they defend. They're physical. They don't allow a lot on these drives. I think in Denny's case, he's improved defensively. I also think that the the league allowing more physicality on drives has helped him. He got called for a ton of you know touch fouls, kind of silly fouls as a rookie, that he's not getting those calls anymore. Um but I think it, you think about how Phoenix really made such a big jump defensively last year. I think it's a very similar structure. And again, the one thing that Weston Silk does really well and was always been known for in Denver is he'll, he'll take what you what pieces he has and he'll maximize that from a defensive standpoint. He won't put players in a position that they cannot handle. And so what's really impressive to me about all these, the way they're defending is just the way the players help each other. Uh, so they'll notice when someone is in the wrong spot and needs to be kicked out. You know, Harrell will know when to switch. You know, I think they've they've tapped a little bit into Harrell's switch ability that in ways that other 
kind of teams haven't. You know, though, if they have to switch a, a wing or Kuzma matchup, you know, a one-four screen, they're really good at kind of getting the timing right on when to scram the guard out of there. And I think they have a really good, and I certainly were doing a lot of this in the preseason. They've got a really good sense of how the low man rotation works, whether with everyone on the roster. You know, it's interesting looking at Bradley Beal's offensive numbers. He's having a really rough season, but I think he's playing a lot harder defensively. Uh, and I think that's kind of been the big difference with this team. Yeah, I mean, look, it would be hard to not play harder defensively than Beal was the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But I think it's – I do think some of it is just the roster. Like, the way they put it together, they they all have to be – working in concert with each other. It's not just like the Brad Beal show on offense and then everybody else does the defense for him. Like they've got guys that are moving around on both ends of the floor. It's like a very active team, I think, and somewhat similar to to the Suns, like you said, where they have basically wings playing, a wing playing at the four. And I think the physicality has helped Kuzma too. Like him, KCP, Abdia, they can be up in guys more. And that was, like you said, what what helped guys like Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder last year. I think it makes it's a good comparison. Yeah, just the, the attention to detail is really uh, is really remarkable, I think. Uh, and just, again, like how do you position your body on these sorts of switches? How do you drop back when you are switching so that you're cutting off the angle of a potential drive rather than kind of coming up to the guard, the switcher, and then letting them drive by you? I think that's really impressive. You know, it's almost reached the point to me again, like where I look at the attention and detail they're showing defensively. And my conclusion watching them and watching the offense is like, you know, you've almost over-focused on that. I feel like the offense could use a little bit more attention because I think it's been kind of stagnant at, at in times that are in recent times. And I'd like to see a little bit more dynamism that I think they did show at the beginning of the season, but have sort of slowed, not shown as much recently. Yeah, that's where I was going to go next. Like you, cause you mentioned that, you know, it might be getting to be a bit of a problem. And like, I, I think this is a, a team that's more talented than, the 19th best offense in the league. It's just, guys are just really not shooting well for the most part. I'm curious what you think the biggest issue for them offensively is. It, is it like, is it just they need more secondary action? Is it somebody needs to get creating more for others? Because like Beal, I feel like is passing pretty well even. Um, their shot distribution is not like, they're not taking a ton of threes. I think they're 22nd in three-point rate. Now that I'm looking, um, and they are, they make up for it somewhat by taking a bunch of free throws. They're eighth in free throw rate. But what what's the big issue to you? You don't, you think that they're more talented than 19th? I mean, if you have Beal, I feel like you should be better than 19th to begin with. And then you add in Dinwiddie, and you've got some shooting, and like a Harrell pick and roll is a really good offensive play for a bench unit. Like, I feel like they should be better than 19th. Well, they, the one thing that they don't have, which is a big concern of mine entering the season, I think makes an offense look well, is they don't have a lot of great passers for their position. Dinwiddie yeah. is probably their best passer. After that, you're looking at Obdia. And a lot they have a lot of guys who have sort of improved over the course of their career to be adequate for their position. But they don't have that one guy. They don't have guys that really kind of are known for that. And they, they have a lot of scores. It, and as far as the shooting that they have, uh, their best shooter is injured. It's worth noting. Yes. Uh, and that is, uh, and other than that, do they have a lot of shooting? I guess they have capable shooters. Like, they Beal have a lot of shooting well. 
at right, all. They have a lot of like thirty. They have a lot of guys who shoot like kind of mid thirties on high volume. Yeah, they have a lot like, of shot takers, but they don't have a lot of really dangerous type of shooters. So to me, it's not a huge surprise that their offense is seems less than the sum of its parts. To me, the the correctable problem that I'm seeing is that I just don't think they're playing with enough tempo. You know, for especially given the way they're defending, I think there are too many possessions where they're walking the ball up, they're starting their offense too too late in the shot clock, and there have been just a lot of times where it's one action and then it kind of dies. You know, and part of that is because again they they have a useful structure and they've got a lot of guys who will make good kind of quick decisions, but they don't have a lot of naturally great passers. They don't have a lot of. I mean, even Beal, like Beal wants to score. Like Beal is not as good a passer. I mean, I would say like as a as a reasonable comparison, both DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine are better passers than Bradley Beal. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would think especially with the development the last couple of years, like especially DeRozan. Yeah, right um, now. Uh, right now, obviously, yes. Yeah, and I think Levine's probably gotten there too. Yeah. And and so that's like kind of an interesting. Those things are good comparisons because I believe Chicago is also pretty low in three point shooting rate, right? Yeah, they're also sure the lowest in the league. Yeah, are they last? I believe they're last. So it's yeah. a very similar offense in that row, but Chicago's got better passers on their team. You know, they've got those two, but then also Lonzo Ball, and when mm-hmm. Vucevic is playing, Vucevic is way better. So it, it's not a huge surprise to me that it, the the Wizards' offense is like kind of one action and it dies. You know, the thing that I think you can fix that with is, is you just get the ball to flow quicker, and you take these misses that you're forcing, and you really push on them. And I, I think that they've lost some of that over the course of the year. Um, I think they've really struggled with switch with zones charlotte's thrown zones of them in their last games they lost both games uh they've swelled a little bit with switching um so just i'd like to see them play a little faster and i think dinwiddie is a key to that sometimes he's really getting the ball to the rim and looks great other times you feel like he kind of should be doing more and so i think they're relying very heavily on harold to kind of for rim pressure that I think they can generate in other ways. So I'd just like to see them play a little bit more with thrust, um, take those misses. And, and I think some of that might get better when Bertans comes back. You know, I, one of your one of the people in the chat has noted that uh, with the way Corey Kispert's playing and all the, the minutes he's had and how he's looked kind of unable to be that shot maker. To me, like the upgrade from Kispert to Bertans in the rotation is pretty significant. And I think they really lost. Uh, a lot from that, so that might help, but they just have to. I think they just got to play faster and get into their stuff quicker, you know, to mask some of their challenges. Yeah. Um. So first of all, like Beal and Kispert hitting shots would be huge. Obviously, like you don't expect either of those guys to be under thirty percent from three. Bertans coming back and hitting shots obviously would be huge too, just in terms of the spacing that it provides yeah. to get. But now, that now by the way, Bradley Beal shooting way worse than career averages, but the last time he shot a really good three-point percentage. Oh, uh, yeah. It was a while. Been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. So even he's in that sort of 30s on high-volume type of range, mid-30s yeah. on high-volume. Yeah, I mean, the last three years, he's been 35.1, 35.3, and 34.9 on on high-volume over the last three seasons before yeah. this one. But this it's year, he's at like yeah. 28%. Um, but to your point about – uh, you know, it's, So it's like, yeah, who's their, who are their shooters? Yeah, I mean, Bertans when he comes back. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even Dinwiddie, you would think Dinwiddie's a really good shooter, but he's not. He's mostly a good shooter off the dribble. He's not a particularly good shooter off the catch. That was always kind of an issue with him 
uh, mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, where it was like he needed to have the ball in his hands to shoot well. And, you know, they maybe they wanted D'Angelo Russell to have it, or I can't remember who the other uh, – Lavert Levert. To have it. But, you know, to your point about playing faster, I think that's really, really important. This was something that uh, our friend Seth Partnow was talking about um, on, on Twitter earlier today, where each second earlier in the shot clock – that you initiate your offense is worth about a point per 100 possessions. So if you initiate your offense with 20 on the shot clock, as opposed to 14, you get six extra points per 100 possessions on average. And you look at in predictable, the wizards are 27th in time to shot after a made shot. Um, they are 28th after a missed shot. Not surprising. 22nd after a turnover. The only time they go quickly is after an offensive rebound. And like that's you know it's all within a second of each other on right. an offense. Because Harrell and Gafford get like a zillion putbacks. Right, their second fastest offense in the league off of offensive rebounds. But like I said, twenty seventh after a made shot, twenty eighth after a missed shot, twenty second after a turnover. Like you're going too slow at that point, and you're yeah. playing against way more set defenses. And when you don't have when you're when your best shooter is not on the court, and your other two guys that should be probably your best shooters even if they're not a plus shooters are not shooting well at all then playing against those set defenses is even more damaging yeah i think that's definitely it i mean i think the 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 optimistic view of this is that this month was about establishing their defensive identity and you know controlling tempo in that regard is a key to their their defensive structure um i think now they just need to really layer in a more uh more of a thrust after they get those those shots up. And yeah, I mean, I, there have been a lot of times to uh, one of the comments in here where I've wondered to myself, like, how healthy is Spencer Dinwiddie actually? You know, he's missed a couple games due to injury management. And I don't think I've really seen that. Like, like when he's he's got a lot of good going for him. Like, he's a really crafty player. He does a great job getting the bigs involved on lobs. He's a better passer than I expected. But I, when I, when they got him, I was sort of thinking that we, we would get the like sort of aggressive downhill attacking Dimwitty, like sort of like for Wizards fans who are listening to this pod, like a Super Antonio Daniels from back in the day. You know, remember how he used to always be able to draw fouls on those arenas teams? It might be too long ago, um, but we haven't really seen that that type of player. Uh, even, you know, almost think, seems like he's like sort of maybe overreacting to the new rules sometimes because a lot of his fouls were kind of those jump-ins. But we haven't gotten that player, and I, I just feel like in the long run, they need that player to be able to play the way that they're playing. Like, they need him to be aggressive. So maybe it just will come with time after his injury. But I have asked myself a lot, like, how healthy is he really? Yeah, I was going to say, he's not the first player to see his free throw rate crater after a lower body injury. Uh, mm-hmm. He's still finished. Like he's not finishing great at the rim, but he's still finishing like within a couple points of where he was um, a couple of years ago in Brooklyn. Percentage um, wise. Yes. But yeah, that, that's wise. what I mean. But he's just, he's not getting there anymore. Like you look right. at the first six years of his career, 28% of his shots came within three feet. This year is at 12%. And he's taking right. way more shots from like the back half of the paint, putting up floaters. Uh, yeah, some of know? it is going there, and some of it is like forced passes or kind of kickouts. Yeah, because he is playing with two bigs that love to roll. You know, when this is all like kind of working right, like the, I did sort of chide you a little by saying like, oh, the talent level is just so much higher than 19th. But there is a structure of like kind of four perimeters and a 
hard right rim rolling big with two penetrators that should be adding up to more than 19th. I agree with you on that. You know, that's what they need. Um, and it's being masked a little bit by how well they're playing defensively, but it is a concern of mine specifically in the last few games. Yeah. So, um, I want to get into, um, the guys they actually got in the trade in a minute, but I think let's talk about this question from PGP first, which move was better for the wizards the Westbrook trade or the coaching change. And I think we can sort of use that as a, yeah. a stepping off point. It's a funny question because at least in my head and maybe the wrong way to think about it, I've always sort of thought of Russ and Scott Brooks as kind of like a package deal combo, right? So Scott Russ is going to Russ is, Russ is going to play the way Russ plays and Scott Brooks is going to rubber stamp it. Like Doug Collins used to when Michael Jordan was the wizard was with the wizards. So to me, like kind of, the way that Scott Brooks was coaching that team last year was entirely rust centric, you know? Um, but so it's hard for me to separate this out, like between the two of them. So Russ sort of dwarfs so much of how your style, their style of play was last year that, you know, is it, it's hard to separate that from the coaching. My instinct though, is that the bigger, the bigger change with all due respect to Wes and the job he's doing, which I think is great. I think the bigger change is you turn Russ into the players that they turned into. I mean, that was a home run trick. And I think yeah, that I mean, you're talking about like massive, massive difference. Yeah, it's like half the rotation from that trade. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's their best offense. I would say it's their best offense defensive player. This were in that trade: Kyle Kuzma for the defense and Montrez Harrell for the offense. Yeah, and then you get KCP, Dinwiddie, and Holiday in it too. And especially without Bertans, you've needed all of those guys because you need guys that can play like the three, four, or be a shooter. Like KCP is at least shooting. Um, you know, a high volume of threes. He's still in like the mid thirties. Dinwiddie, same thing, but he's shooting at volume. Even like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's and crucially, it's a, they're 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 quick decision makers. So they're not going to hold the ball. I mean, last year's Wizards team was just so kind of pound, pound, pound. And really, one of the things that Wes talked about from the very beginning, and I, again, I read everything as a as a sort of subtweet of Russ. So, like, this might have been <laughs> me reading way too much into everything. Uh, I just, I'm so, I, I found rooting for him to be very frustrating, and I'm so glad I don't have to do it anymore. Uh, and I'm not surprised that he's had trouble with the Lakers, and I, I should stop. But I remember when, when Wes first got here, he was talking about how, sometimes the key to improving your defense is to have a better offense and to not get caught with like sort of these rush shots that screw up your floor balance. And so I, I remember, I forget who it was. It might've been Fred Katz, who's now on the Knicks beat. It might've been somebody else asking him about it. And that was like kind of an interesting response. I read that as like, yeah, when, when Russ isn't just sort of doing whatever the hell Russ wants to do and like all the other players just sort of stand and watch or kind of get confused at how fast he's playing. Hey, everybody can play better defense. So, I, I just sort of read – that's sort of how I read that comment as a little bit of like, uh, hey, we actually are just shooting and making decisions from like a normal structure and <laughs> a normal spot <laughs> and within a normal team thing. It makes us just a better defensive team just off the bat. And that that was sort of what you you kind of traded the player who's the ultimate version of not that for players who are the ultimate version of that. So to it's, me that's like obviously a great trade. Yeah, it's, it's interesting too because – you know, one of the things you hear a lot is that, it, you know, it's despite the talent level that he has, it's it's hard to play with Russ. He makes you change your game to be like Russ's teammate. And it's the same thing with LeBron. And it's obviously different because LeBron is, you know, a lot better than Russ. But it's still guys have found it difficult to play with him at times. 
And I look at the way, you know, the holdovers from last year are playing for the Wizards this year. And then the guys that came from the Lakers are playing. And it's like a guy like Kuzma just looked much more comfortable playing on this kind of team than he ever did playing with LeBron. And I think it's like, that's not to say that, that he's, you know, good or bad or LeBron's good or bad for, for players, but certain guys are just much more comfortable being part of a more than the sum of its parts type of team than a role player on a star led team. Maybe. I mean, I, I think they're difficult to play with for different reasons, entirely different reasons. LeBron is difficult because you sort of kind of are waiting for him to pass you the ball. And like, there's a lot of pressure on you every time you shoot. Yeah. It's like, look at the Russ is just like, kind of, you have no, it's often hard to sort of run with him to know what he's trying to do to, like position yourself for whatever he is doing. Like he's just kind of oh, so unpredictable for both teams. You know, it's funny. Like Kuzma, all these guys are excited about being like, oh, we're we're away from LeBron and we get to do our thing. I mean, Kuzma's shooting like efficiency is pretty rough this year. He's had some big moments. I would say the bigger the bigger contribution he's made is on defense. Um, so maybe on some level, this like. LeBron was bad, good for him and giving him some good shots that he no longer has. But he, he feels more involved, I suppose, is a good way of putting it. Yeah, and maybe like he's got the exact same usage rate this year that he did last year. The difference is he's, like you said, he's he's playing much better on defense and he's rebounding like crazy. Some of that yeah. playing the four almost exclusively, and it's like, it's all defensive rebounding too, like the, the offensive rebound. Like he's a floor spacer still, like he was – uh, for the most part, on offense in in LA, but if you feel more involved, maybe you are more inclined sometimes to work harder defensively or to work harder on defensive glass. And at least in that respect, it's kind of paying off for them. Yeah, no, definitely. Although there is like I think an underground now movement that Obvia should probably be starting. And Ob- I mean, Obvia is the best net rating on the team, and mm-hmm. I think he's played well. Now, I would argue that I just start the two of them together and play KCP off the bench, but. Mm-hmm. There's a, I think there's some there's some groundswell of saying like maybe Kuzma, while he's been really good defensively, has not quite been as good as it initially he initially was, and we need to find a way to get Abdi more minutes. Yeah, I mean, I I would like to see Abdi get more minutes, even if only because like what's this is his his second year, right? I'm not imagining yes. that. Yes, yeah, that's like, correct. You got to make a decision on him after next season, essentially. So. Might as well get him on the court, get as much information as you can. I'm wondering how much of the the net rating numbers are tied to the fact that he plays most of his minutes with Harrell, who's just like killing teams in pick and roll around the basket. Hey, only one way to find out, right? Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. Harrell has just like been way more effective this year than he was last year, not just because he's playing more minutes. Like, I feel like he looks like a different guy. He was, he seemed pretty uncomfortable with the Lakers yeah. last year. Yeah. I mean, this is a team that's way more up his, up his alley, you know, where they've got a need for the, his, his style of play. They have enough perimeter players so he can kind of do his thing inside. He's got all that space to operate. Uh, defensively again, he's been better than I expected. I think he's, he's shown more mobility they did before, but I think it's not terribly surprising that, I mean, the Lakers were just the worst possible fit for his game, and now he's on the best possible fit. What's interesting, though, is, I mean, if the game, if this, if the All-Star game started, was tomorrow, like, I think you have to put him in it with the way he's played this year. 
even though he is the six man. But by the way, as an aside, like, is this the best six man of the year race ever? It's a great race right now. Like between Harold and like Hero, mm-hmm. and like I saw people talking about Carmelo the other day. Like Ricky the guys Rubio. shooting a thousand percent. Rubio, yeah. Although Rubio had been starting for a little bit. Um, I can't remember who was out. Uh, obviously, um, Sex- Sexton is out. But since like. Osman and Dean Wade have come back into the lineup. Those guys mm-hmm. are starting instead of Rubio, so maybe he does stay in the six-man role. And then, like, right. give it to like the entire Knicks bench because the starters are all terrible. Yeah, like, like Derrick Rose and yeah, I, it, 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 that is an interesting trend. I think league-wide, I feel like more teams are holding back a key player in a six-man role this year than ever before. I may or may not be writing about something like that soon. So I'm not crazy about that. It just feels like more teams have like kind of held, have been more intentional about playing a guy off the bench a ton of minutes and giving him a lot of freedom. And you talked about Hero. I mean, some of the shots that Buddy healed as as a good example. Um, Some of the shots that Rubio has been taking this year, I may be only thinking this because I just watched the Nets uh, Cavs game from last night, like are just so absurd. I'm like, is that the same guy that, Oh, yeah. He was taking, like, crazy adventurous shots against the Knicks in the game where he went off for, like, 37 points or whatever it was. Like, you know, behind behind the back crossover fadeaways from three. I was like, who <laughs> is this right now? I know, yeah. He's doing the James Harden. I think he did the James – last night he did the James Harden, like, moonwalk step-back moves on James Harden. Jeez. I want. I want to say. I don't know if anyone here has watched that. I don't know. It's just an interesting. Back to the Wizards and Harold. Like, I just at this point, I think he's got to be in the All Star game. The he's been he's really playing. good, man. I think the passing too, as like a short roller, has been better this year than it was last year. Like that. That was just not really available to him a lot of the time last season. Yeah, who is like, he passing in the short roll to with the. Uh, while playing with a, like, a bunch of non-shooters. Right, that's exactly where I was going to go. Like Their whole thing was like, we're going to get Schroeder and Harrell to be like the Lou Williams and Harrell pick-and-roll combination off our bench, but they forgot that Lou and Harrell played with shooters around them, and that was what made it so dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I'm not surprised that he's playing well. He's playing better than I thought. They, again, they probably need him a little more than I'm, a little, than I'm comfortable with, but that's a problem for another day. Yeah, what are what are your thoughts on the like? They seem like a, a one of those teams to me that is it's somewhat made for the regular season because of all the depth that they have. Like they're playing ten or probably nine NBA caliber guys right now. If you don't include Kispert and then Bertans when he comes back, and they still have Hachimura, who I think is back practicing with the team now, or at least around the team. He just um, got option to the go go, so yeah. Okay, and then Thomas Bryant coming back from the injury too. Like that's twelve guys that you can put on an NBA court and feel at least pretty comfortable about it. That's so valuable in the regular season, especially obviously with COVID and guys in and out of the lineup and things like that. And on a team where you know guys have a bunch of injury issues, like Bertans been out for whatever it is, eight nine games at this point. So to have you know more guys that you can put on the court, like not putting bad players in the court is really valuable during the regular season. And it feels like that that will help them be better than I expected them to be. Yeah. I think you're probably right about that. Why people didn't see that at the start of the season, I'm a little confused by, but that's a whole separate conversation. Yeah. I mean, I had them probably as like, I think I had them in like ninth or 10th in the East. So a play in Mm -hmm. team, I don't know that I expect them to be fourth or whatever they are right now. 
Um, I don't think they're good. Yeah, I, I, I hear you on that. And I'm just maybe uh, maybe I was I would have picked them to finish higher after seeing the preseason, but got too chicken to put that thought out there. So I just instead alluded to how I liked it, I like their mix, and then didn't actually place them anywhere. Yeah, what are they? Right. I mean, I guess they're they're sit, tied for fifth in the East in point differential with the with the Sixers. So mm-hmm. like it's it's not like it's unsupported. And again, they're playing without three guys that should be rotation players. I'm, I'm definitely curious to see what happens at center um, once Thomas Bryant comes back because he's like a legit good offensive center who is not great on defense, but he's not a complete disaster. Um, mm. And they, they have two guys that are pretty good offensively, just like Gafford with his rebounding and rolling and then obviously everything that Harold does. So I'm curious to see how they, they work a, a three-man rotation as opposed to, to two guys. I would imagine one of them is just going to kind of get cut out. You would think, and you know, it is a good question. It's also a good question because they just gave Gafford an extension to start the year that I believe was for, if not the about the same amount that Bryant's contract was, about a little bit more. Uh, there's no question that I think skill set wise, Gafford and Bryant are very different. Mm-hmm. But the part of the problem is that, I mean, right now, like, Harrell, understandably, is closing games for them. And part of the appeal of Harrell is that you don't play him with other guys who can muck up the floor. I don't know what they're going to do with Tommy Thomas Bryant. Uh, I also don't know how healthy he'll be coming off the tour in ACL. You know, what can be reasonably expected? Uh, I don't know if there's really any room to put him at the four, but sometimes these problems have a way of working themselves out. So I would, it's better to have this situation. This applies to, to Rui. I know I saw a question about like what happens when Rui comes back. You know, that one's a little bit trickier, I think just because I don't, you can't, I, I don't know exactly how his style fits in to what they're doing. Plus you have no idea really what his state of mind is. And he's another guy who's like, he it'll take some shots at volume on occasion. Last year he was more aggressive, I think, on that end than he was um, in the previous year. But he's not going to shoot a great percentage. Like I'm looking at it now. Last year, thirty three percent on two point four attempts per game, and that was up from twenty nine on one point eight attempts the year before. So it's not like he was taking a ton more of those shots. Like half a three per thirty six minutes. And on not great percentage. So it's another one of those guys where, yeah, he'll shoot them, but he's probably not going to make them and he's not going to take that many of them anyway. And it's, you know, adding to, like you said, a bunch of guys uh, with that sort of profile already. Plus, I, I, you know, the question you always w- wonder with him is can he play in a more fast moving uh, style? And he, he, for all the talk about his thing, you know, he's also someone who takes a while to get to where he needs to go with to the basket and does that work I and mean, more generally unless he's again cut a lot of weight and he can play like kind of that speed four role that they have gotten from kuzma and abdia i mean we're already saying that like both those guys are to play more uh so mm-hmm. where exactly does we fit in i it'll be it'll be an interesting question to solve you know for Wes. and i, I it's just it's hard to speculate because it, it's his absence has been so nebulous, and you you really don't know exactly what he's going through. So you don't even know if he's even like mentally there. Um, but assuming he is, it is still going to be a challenge to actually figure out how he fits in. I'm not sure where what the answer to that is. I need to yeah. see it. I mean, similar to center, it's like you got three guys for the same role at a certain point when he comes back with between him 
uh, Kuzma and Abdi. I mean, I guess you could even throw Bertans in there too. Obviously, he plays differently uh, than those other guys. Is more of just a shooter. But right. you know, it's it's sort of a, a crowd at a position where do you want to have like three bigs on the court at the same time to play all those guys the minutes that they want to get? Like, I don't think so. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of so, it's kind of like what, like five or six guys for two for two and a half positions. Basically, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's a good problem to have, but it's still oh yeah a challenge. But what is what is interesting though is I, I do think that there is something to the idea that last year the way they played was much better for Rui than for Optia, and this year it's been completely flipped on its head. So I'm very curious to see how Rui responds to that. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that's been interesting to me so far is. Um, this is a big thing for me. Everybody talks every year like, oh, this guy's NBA ready when he comes into the draft. It's basically just if he's a senior, he's NBA ready, and there's really <laughs> no other criteria than that. Obviously, Kispert was one of those guys in the draft this year. Like, oh, he's NBA ready, but does he have upside? Um, he's not shooting well. I think he's made more than one three in one game this year. What are the issues with not necessarily how he's being used, but how he's he's making himself useful so far? Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of ironic, but I just keep watching him, and I think his body, his confidence, his aggression, his sort of knowledge of how hard he needs to play to get a shot off and what type of player he is, is just not NBA-ready. Like, that's the great irony of it. Um, and I hope I hope that it, he improves, but I am, I've been nervous about his play since Summer League, and I... Even though he's looked a little bit better in the regular season, his body looks a little bit better, I haven't seen a whole lot that has given me a whole lot of confidence in that that, that was the right pick. Uh, and frankly, like I said before, I think replacing his minutes with Bertans makes the team a lot better. And so if they do that, as I think that they should, what does come of him? Um, but, I mean, a lot of it is just if you want to be the type of player – that he he strives to be this sort of shooter that can get his shots off quickly in rhythm uh and is this really to use it's like oh shit we can't leave him open shooter you gotta be i mean think about the way jj reddick runs around and how quickly his shot releases like you gotta be really 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 90 95th percentile in those sorts of things and he's just not that He's like 60th percentile, and that's just not good enough. Yeah, I was going to make sort of a, a Duncan Robinson analogy where, you know, I, I don't know, like Robinson's release is, is pretty fast, but I think the most impressive thing about him to me is he's always moving fast. Right. Well, he's also taller. That's another key thing to keep in mind with him. Like Robinson's 6'9". Yeah. I mean, but like, add just all that in, but moving yeah. into a shooting position as fast as possible, like you need to be relentless hunting your shot if you're going to be that kind of player. And it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like the one game where I saw even some of that from him was the game where they were down a bunch to Miami, the game that they lost before they then – I can't remember if it was before the game they beat Miami but or after the game they beat Miami. It was before. You're talking about the back-to-back where Dinwiddie didn't play. Yeah, and like yeah. he took a bunch of threes. And that, I think that was the only game where he made multiple threes. And it was like you saw a little bit of that from him just in terms of like really looking for a shot – in the minutes that he was on the court. But like I said, you have to be like completely relentless to play that role. And it's like, it's as much of a mindset as it is a physical skill set. And that was the big thing that the heat talked about with Robinson, where they would like get on him for not taking a shot when he had even a sliver of space. And he had to like go down to the G league to work on it and turn himself into like 
uh, a relentless gun and not like gunner has a certain connotation but when you're in that role that's what you need to be yeah i mean it, especially i think it's harder than it looks for these types of players when your job is a shooter like you're in there to be a accurate shooter and because everybody knows that you're you're gonna have to shoot a lot and when you shoot a lot you're gonna have to shoot a lot of shots that are quick that you are less likely to make than you would be if you were open but you need to kind of be okay with taking them and missing them because there's like sort of the oh this is actually like i mean a huge underlying theory of this modern style of play that got flipped on his head starting with the way the suns played really going to steph curry is the threat there is like a value in just a recklessness of shooting that just warps not only is it sort of a sense like a kind of a analytically smart thing to do or even just sort of a like kind of well yeah when you can shoot from far away it brings a defense out it is also a chaos driver you know in a way that the warriors in particular and i think a lot of other teams have learned this if you're if you show the enemy that you're capable of like basically anything like you're capable of taking these like totally audacious shots you know it just unnerves them. And I think that's something that now that's a hard thing to, for players to get into the mindset of it. It seems so simple because some of the best players are able to do it. But I mean, Bertans is a really good example. Like if you look at Bertans's shooting percentages, I mean, last year he was really bad. He had one year. He was amazing. The, the thing that gives him gravity is just that he takes some ridiculous shots it's less that he makes them all the time, but just that he's willing. He has this like kind of super neon green light, and that just again that that there's a lot of value in showing that chaotic nature, and it's just but it's but to be able to do that, you've got to be willing to miss. And I just don't see that in Corey Kispert. You know, he's passing when there's a defender that's running out at him. He's like kind of trying to drive by, and that's just not his game. And yeah. take the side step. Like it's there for a reason. Or just fuck it. Like take it, take it and get your shot blocked. Who cares? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is the difference too. Like between a guy who's a good shooter and gets treated like a good shooter, where you have to close out hard on him, make sure you don't help too far away, and then a guy who you have to completely warp your defensive principles to account for him, like like a Robinson yeah. or a Redick or a, a Steph. Like obviously right. nobody's on Steph's level, but like Seth, even like it's. I mean, I, even I feel like Seth is a, is a good word. Yeah, even Seth, I mean, that's sort of, I think, what's held him back until this year is that he's too reluctant. Seth, not Steph. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a huge factor. And, look, it, it, you have to work yourself into a position where you can do that. You know, your body, your positioning, your lack of confidence, your mechanics, most of all, you know, where, you know, you've got to be able to get your shot off really fast. And, I mean, that's a huge element of the modern game right there is, you know, the three-point line for so long was like it's like you're only allowed to shoot it if you're able of make able to make it like there's a right that's bestowed on you well you actually kind of have to flip that inside out you've got to show a level of audacity that just it, it, it just scrambles the heads of, um that's why like kind of lillard and trey young take like 35 footers even though they're not that good at them is because they just want to show the defense like hey we, we're willing to do this like if you're gonna let me like you have to prove you have to you have to prove that you're. You have to present the threat for it to be a threat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And like, there, it's not like there are guys that get treated like shooters that aren't shooters. 
you know, like nobody sees like, oh, that's a 26% shooter over there, but we have to go out and meet him. But there are guys that are shooters, but don't get treated that way because they just don't shoot. Like nobody guards PJ Tucker, even if he's in the corner, because he's just not going to shoot often enough. Yeah. Like, you get like a moderate closeout on him. He's well, not shooting. Well, now, funnily enough, I think if PJ Tucker has developed a little bit of like a kind of short roll game to account for this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, the most overrated, I think there are a lot of overrated stats in, in the modern NBA. To me, one of the most underrated, overrated stats in the modern NBA is three-point percentage on all levels. It's so very. What do, mean, what do you mean by uh, underrated, overrated? It is underrated in how overrated, how useless it is. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, I think that's interesting. I, I feel like you got to weight it for uh, for volume, you know. So like, here's here's the thing about that. And this is a this is a key part. Again, I'm like kind of giving away a part. This part of the book I've already read. But if you look at, I remember I don't remember the exact number it was, but Something like half the league last in 2000. Maybe I should pull up the section to find the exact numbers. But what is the difference between like a 33% shooter and a 40% shooter over the course of a season? It's like what, like maybe one three a week. I have to. I don't remember exactly what it is. Right. So it's, it's not that seven percent of your threes. So it's like one. seven out of every hundred. So I mean, right. I doubt you're taking a hundred threes in a week. Um, so yeah. okay. So it's even le- maybe it's like a three a month. Or wait, or no, not even a hundred. So month. let's say you're it's taking like a three a month. If you're taking like three hundred threes a year, that's four a game. Then mm-hmm. it's twenty one threes over the course of the season. So one every four games. Right. And certainly, le- it's less than one every ten shots. Right. So, yeah, you would think so. I mean, thirty three and forty percent. It's less than so. I looked. At, I dug this number. These numbers up for. Uh, 2020 um let me see what's the exact numbers but basically if you there are something like half the league shoots somewhere between 30 or sorry there are 130 players in 2020 who shot between 33 and 40 percent from three while taking um at least four four a game or four every 36 minutes. I don't remember exact number, but basically like you're talking about 130 players who are considered moderate to high volume shooters that are within that threshold. Right. And those are, I mean, how many players play in the league for the most part? I mean, how many rotation players, like there, there are 400 players in the league, but many of those guys don't play. And that, that also only includes the players who uh, fulfill the minutes limit. We're talking like most of the league is somewhere between 33 and 40%, or let's even 33 and 43%. They basically behave the same way, despite having these little differences in their percentage. And of course, as we all know, you're not 33% and 40% one year, and then that level of shooter every t- all the time. Like you, you've got to yo yo up and down that ladder most of the time just because of sheer randomness or variance right yeah so what exactly is the difference between a 33 percent shooter and a 40 percent shooter given those circumstances what is how the difference that we kind of attribute it looks so big to it just isn't very it barely is anything back in the day the 33 percent shooters would sort of self um correct their way out of this threshold and just not shoot the threes that much. 
But that's not the case anymore. 33% shooters shoot the same way as 40%. So from a defense's perspective, like why would three-point percentage be a marker of your shooting quality when the guys who are within this very small window basically act the same way? It's an interesting point. I think the difference to me, I would say, is the consistency of doing it over a lot of years. So like if a guy shoots 33% over an eight-year period and another guy shoots 40%, over an eight year period, like the, you know, the first two contracts of their career, then in their third contract, you're going to see, and probably justifiably a difference in the way those guys are treated by defenses. How Um, many players in the NBA play eight years while all, while being roughly at the same level of shooting? Yeah, probably not many. (laughs) I mean, you said it yourself. I I think you kind of gave it away yourself in, in an earlier conversation where you at first were like, yeah, Bradley Beal's a really good shooter. And then you looked it up, and it was like, oh, wait, look at those percentages. Oh, no, but, well, I just meant he should be shooting a lot better than 28%, you would think. Yeah, but it wasn't like we thought, like, you didn't think, like, he should be shooting a lot better than tw- that. But you had no, to, like, mid-30s, like he has the last few years, yeah. I know what right. you mean, though. Like, people, it, what matters is not that Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal's not defended like a 34% three-point shooter, is sort of my point. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, and it's because I, I it's because mean. he doesn't act like one. He doesn't shoot like one. So, more players who are in that thirty-three, like low to mid-thirties threshold, like the Wizards are really an example. Like they're taught to act like forty-three percent shooters of yesteryear. So, to me, like the value of just isolating your three-point percentage, like it's just not that high. Like, okay, what's the difference between a guy who's like about a forty percent shooter over the eight while shooting eight threes? And for 36 minutes and 36%. Like the, the, the relative difference isn't that high. I wonder if percentages will actually go up with guys being encouraged to just take them anyway. Like they like might be kinda, passing that's up. Kinda, that's kind of already happened. Um, Although I, I believe, I know last year was a, a high in three point percentage. I mean, just think about like just the moral panic over offensive quality, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Essentially, the difference is basically that last year they shot 36%, and this year they're shooting 34%. Yeah, and I think foul rate is like 2% lower, too. Um, yeah. So obviously that takes away some free points. Yeah. But so like, there, it's also there's something, there's something turnover happening. rates have been going down for years. And if that ever ticks up again, all of a sudden that affects offense at you know a similar sort of level. Right. Now, it's not entirely just shooting. Like, like you said, like there's clearly something going on. But... I don't think any of whatever is going on applies to the meta level of how scary a threat is the shooter. Mm-hmm. So well, it's also me, like the, uh, the, the NBA is not the only league where offense is down this year. Like the NFL scoring is down this year too. So some of it I would imagine. Is it really? Yeah. What do you think about that? You, I don't follow football. That's interesting. I didn't know I that. Mean, I think at least some of it has to do with crowds. Like just okay. affects games differently. Like you can't hear the play call type of thing. Can't hear the play calls, depth perception, things like that. Like, you know, being able to, like not being able to audible on the road any, anymore as easily as you could last year right. or not being able to hear the offense's play calls as well as you could last year and adjust your defensive calls. Um, both of those yeah. things. Wasn't there a theory in the bubble that refs were calling the game tighter because every single like infraction stood out more because there was less noise around it? There was a theory on that. Fouls were up slightly, but that's normal for the playoffs. Like I wrote about the a big thing okay. about the refs in the bubble, and like the especially about the increase in challenges 
uh, or not in challenge in uh, in replay reviews. And the reviews were it was basically all challenge based. Like coaches were just challenging like crazy. Yeah, was like, everybody was complaining about the reviews during the bubble, and it was all because of the coaches, not the refs. <laughs> yeah. Well, this uh, this also sticks with uh, this is also tracks with like another theory I have about this season, which is that the moral panic about the increased physicality that's been allowed is massively overblown. Maybe not massively; it's overblown. No, I would it's... I would agree with you that the moral panic is overblown. I do think that there are some pretty obvious calls going uncalled pretty often, and it's somewhat annoying when you're watching a game and you're like, "All right, come on!" Like, I get that you want to let more stuff go, but this is ridiculous. That's a foul. It's also like, it's not like guys are getting maimed out there, you know? Like, uh, I'm right. a very simple guy about the refs. I think that if it's a foul, they should call it no matter what, no matter when. And if it's not, they shouldn't. That's sort of my only opinion about them. Other than, like, I don't care if you think your team got jobbed by the refs because mm-hmm. every fans team thinks that. And there's no way that they're actually biased against your team. That's just not a thing. Um, right. But I, I don't think it's like, going crazy that like there needs to be a moral panic about it like you said maybe i should rephrase this slightly because uh, it's i agree with you on all of that i think it's more the game is being called more physically but not to the degree that a lot of i think the degree to which that is the case has been massively overstated I that think. i definitely agree like it's not like they're playing like the 90s out there you know right like, and I, yeah and i also think that the degree to which some of the struggles of guys like Harden and Lillard and frankly Beal, if we're going to kind of go back on topic here, I don't think that the rule changes are playing as big a role in that as people think. I think especially in Harden's case, there's also the fact that he's coming off a hamstring injury. So if you watch, he can't explode off that right. What is it? Was it the right or the left? Whichever one it was, you watch him drive. He cannot explode through defenders the same way he used to. That's not a rule change thing. That's a he's not he's injured thing. Um, and I think that 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 has happened. And I think defenders have frankly, and this is a another chapter in the book that I still have to write. Uh, defenders have gotten better at playing in space. They have different tactics. They've learned that they you know how to defend with well while be more clever. Let's say about where they put their hands. You know they've learned to defend the euro step in a different way the techniques are different in the way players slide the body types are different the lead i think the the defenders have caught up to james harden in a way that they hadn't two years ago and that would have been true last year too but it got masked by unusually hot shooting due to the weird conditions yeah he also like he's 32 now he's not in his mid-20s in his physical prime and right. uh, he's listed at whatever he is, like 220, 225, something like that. He ain't 220 at this point. Like, right. he can't be because he wasn't able to to work on that leg over the summer. Not that he would have done much working anyway, based on how he came in, looking, how he looked coming into last season. But, you know, right. he's probably like in the 240s now. So it's the explosion has gone a little bit for that reason, too. And he's playing with less space on the floor because they're playing a lot of bigs and he's no longer playing in like the juiced Houston five out dribble all the time system, you know, I just, but it's not all the rule changes. Like I think there's this thought that like the NBA is like a totally different style play and product now than it was before. And I just don't know. I think that case has been very overstated. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent with you on that. Uh, All right. That's a, that's an hour for us. Six (laughs) o'clock. Yeah. I, I haven't been looking at the chat. I don't know if there are any other, 
questions or thoughts? It looks like everybody's just been left and been bored out of their minds about this <laughs> conversation. Um, Mike, thank thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate you coming on. Um, it's Mike Prada NBA on Twitter, right? I'm getting that right, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the book coming out in a year ish. Yeah, it's a year ish. Uh, you got almost... you got a title yet or no? Uh, uh, yes, but it's not official, so I don't want to reveal it. All right, no worries. And it'll be, it will be revealed on occasion time. as well. Um, I'm going to probably bring that back at some point soon. I just, I'm trying to finish this off first. Do it, man. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you again so, for doing this. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Have a good night. Uh, back next week with one of these. Nothing on Thursday. It's Thanksgiving. Enjoy your holidays.